Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for February 18th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, good to have you all both back. And uh, tonight we're going to have another guest that we've had on more times than we can count. Our favorite pollster on the Kudzu Vine, Mr. Tom Jensen. He's going to be on about 20 minutes into the show, and he's going to tell us about many new polls he's done, both nationally and different states across the nation. So we're looking forward to that. But uh, the number one political topic, uh, certainly towards the end of the week, was Paul – I'm sorry, uh, Robert Mueller has um, handed down more indictments in his investigation. It was 11 Russians that have, have been indicted for colluding to influence the American election in 2016, probably the most sweeping indictments yet um, handed down. Tim, kind of fill us in more. Uh, this, the story is really beginning to, to emerge now. Uh, the, these indictments of 13 uh, Russian nationals removes, I think, any doubt that the Russians have been over here for some time trying to fool around with our election process. Um, It now seems probable that their efforts were (laughs) obviously successful and most likely helped Trump get elected, um, considering the closeness of the race in several of, of the states that they targeted this this ends the narrative by Trump especially that this was all a hoax and a witch hunt orchestrated by the media or the Clintons or a party, etc. Uh, Trump, of course, has had to change his story. Now he says the Russians have been trying all this stuff since 2014 and it has nothing to do with him. No collusion, case closed. I believe are his words And and that's going to be his story Going forward now No collusion uh, I had nothing to do with it uh, Blah 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 um, the, These indictments uh, Do detail How they did help Trump uh, They actually put their people In at least nine of the affected states They use social media To buy ads uh, they set up fictitious uh, group and individual pages on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and different other social networks uh, to essentially sow discord. Um, they work to um, with individuals in the Trump campaign, although as far as we know at the moment, these individuals did not know that they were working with Russians. They apparently posed as Americans. 
Um, I still believe we haven't yet even reached the midpoint of this investigation. As I mentioned before we went on the air, I think we're about 20% through it. We we now know that members of Donald Trump's sphere of influence uh, have committed crimes. We now have five people indicted, and apparently four of those are ready to cooperate with the uh, special investigator, or uh, uh, special prosecutor, rather. Um, we... Um, we also have the Russians now who, you know, they're, they're in it. They're, there's no saying they're not in it. Uh, the only thing that hasn't been done yet is we, we haven't put the Trump campaign or the Trump um, administration into a uh, mutual cooperation situation where they actually formulated plans and this and that and the other way. That has not happened yet. But, boy, I I wouldn't bet against that being on the way, would you, Catherine? Yeah, I think the the opportune word there is yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been watching some of the analysts. And they all are saying, yeah, don't, you know, don't jump to, you know, the Trump administration should be careful about jumping to any conclusions. Everybody should be careful. This is just one piece of the pie. And um, there's a lot more to come. As mm-hmm. said, you know, I think 20% is a good estimation. There's more to come. And I think there's uh, a lot of reason to believe that there's going to be implications with, um, if not directly with um, the president, it, with people close to him. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I have to, I have to commend those guys. They've been the Mueller's team. They've been really, um, they're really deliberate and um, uh, what's the word? It's thorough. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm. I feel a great I I have a lot of respect for that. I think they're being very careful and deliberate and you know of course we'd like to see this all you know come out as quickly as possible I think but I think there's a lot to be said for you know being careful and um not jumping no one jumping to conclusions so there's a and lot David. more to come I think David. Yeah, and David, Catherine made a good point here uh, that this just basically, this, this thing seemed to just come out of nowhere. No one was expecting it to happen Friday. Uh, Mueller's group has not only been thorough uh, and professional, they, there are no leaks or anything. Uh, nobody had any idea. Uh, how good are these people, David? <laughs> Disciplined, I guess that's that's the word you'd say. Yeah. Um, you, y- y'all, Tim, when you set this thing up, there were so many different things to look at. Uh, the 2014 thing, I-, I saw where Donald Trump said, well, you know, 2014, like you alluded to, no way I could have been involved. Well, he actually did a um, candidate breakfast, a candidate um, event, in New Hampshire in 2014, so that kind of throws that date out the window as an alibi. But then 
is there a possibility that the Russians were looking to do this no matter who the candidates were, and then they attached mm-hmm. themselves onto the Trump campaign because the Trump campaign was such I, a good I fit with Don I Jr. wanting to meet I in hotel rooms with Russia. I, 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 I don't no think defense. so, David. I think they picked their horse early. I think it's obvious that they not only went after Hillary Clinton after she got the nomination, but they were going after other Republicans, too, Rubio and Cruz in particular. They really wanted Donald Trump to get the nomination. They they really did. Oh. It, it was totally in their best interest. Oh, exactly. I think that's what I mean. It was such a good fit that as soon as uh-huh. he looked at running, and, and I mean, who? I mean, within the realm of possibility that they kind of pushed him to run, but they saw the fit there and they wanted mm-hmm. him uh, early on and he was running from 2014. So that's just not a good alibi. Now you mentioned about it, that this won't be, uh, nobody can say anything about Hillary Clinton and Democrats and collusion there. Well, Sebastian Gorka, after the indictments came out of the 11 Russians, he actually said, if you want to start, um, you know, getting to the bottom of this, then put Hillary Clinton in jail. So apparently that's still going to be some kind of Fox News talking point. Will it work? I'm highly suspect of that. But apparently in that realm, the Alex Jones, Fox News sphere, they're going to continue on, you know, anything they can find to somehow just say, as implausible as it might be, that Hillary Clinton colluded with the Russians, and that's not going away. Catherine, how do they have the gall to continue to bring this up? Because that's their, like, favorite uh, – she's their favorite um, scapegoat, you know. They just keep talking about her, and she she riles up the right. The right all hate, you know, the extreme right. So why why look for a, a, for a new one when this one works? Oh, you know, I David. don't see how it continues to work, Tim. David, they they're not gonna derail uh Robert Mueller. No 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 matter what they say or do, uh, they should at least realize that. Now that man is gonna go ahead and do his job. He is beyond uh, above reproach. He was the perfect individual to do this job and short of firing him, he is gonna do this job. He charged you know, the Justice Department charged 13 Russians and three companies on Friday. This indictment was, what's the word I want to say, sprawling? That That's a pretty good word. Uh, this network was very sophisticated, and it was designed for one thing, to monkey around in the 2016 election and, and to help Trump's campaign. Uh, and 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 wait, they can stretch it back all the way to a, a nondescript building in St. Petersburg, Russia. They got the goods on these guys. Now they can't say that they weren't there, and they can't say that they were not doing this and that or, or the other thing. Um, I, I'm you know they they just you know I don't know what they're going to say on Fox News and. And info wars, those people are on Jupiter or some for anyway. <laughs> uh, so you, you know, there, there, there's no way they're going. They're going. The, the truth's coming out. The, I mean, just this, this, you know, 
I, I don't see how they can convince the American people of otherwise now, because now the Russians are here. That's it. Well, and I'll say this: I'm the one who brought Info Wars and Alex. I brought up Alex Jones, and, and I don't worry about them as much as Fox News because, nevertheless, Fox News does have more viewers than I, I guess months in, month out, or whatever. They have more viewers than any other source, obviously, for conservatives. They go there for the Internet news and things like that. And if they're, if a third of the people are getting such um, untruths, then they're going to be misinformed, and it's going to be a different set of facts. And I don't know how you pierce through um, you know, that, that filter, if you will. And you look right I, – I look right now. I just I looked at Fox News. And it's the um, the Nicholas Cruz, the shooting in Florida. There's two more mm-hmm. articles about that that event, and obviously, I mean that is a huge news story too. But th- then there's who won the Daytona 500, gas surpluses. I mean, there is. You have to look about seven stories down before they mention anything about it, and it's Trump says Russians laughing there. AWS is off over Russian collusion probe. So it's not even really looking at the probe itself. They actually have something about Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton uh, throwback to the past. They are ignoring this story, and if they ignore this story for 30% of the public, if you will, how do you get enough to where this turns into Watergate? Catherine? Um, I don't think... Okay, so I don't know what the numbers are, but not that uh, – uh, in terms of, like, broad national viewing, people just don't watch news anymore. So a lot of people may watch Fox News, but in the scheme of things, they don't. Like, there's not that many. Uh, so I just can't I, – I, I can't worry about what people who are watching Fox News because they're going to watch it. Fox News is going to um, is going to play what they play. They're they're playing to their um they're they're publishing what their people want to see. And you know we can't do anything about that. So uh, I can't I I just can't lose a lot of sleep over it. You know let well, Mueller just... do his work. Let's see um you know where we come out. Let's see how outraged. You know, all we can do is is wait and see what what else Mueller does, and um, lift that up in the ways that we can. And not worry. I just can't worry about Fox News. I just can't. I can't think about it. I'm not going to watch. Well, it. I mean, in a democracy, to worry about how to get 50 percent plus one over a majority of electoral states to get electoral votes, right, whatever but, it may be, think, you I have to it, convince make, people. It's not a third of the voters watch Fox News. It's not a third of the voters. It's like it might be 30% of the people who watch news. And there's not yeah. just not that many. I don't know the numbers, but I know they're low. A third of the electorate seems unreachable. I'll say that. Um, it seems like 33 to 35% just don't want to believe any kind of facts. Or believe another set right, of so facts. Right, so we just have to reach the other 70%. Yeah, well, I mean, I just – and then, of course, there's another in between that can be swayed pretty quick. 
Tim, I mean, you, I look, think, work look. with more folks, talk more about folks that get this misinformation that, you know, he will hear Sebastian Gorka's talking points and be fooled. What do we do? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm kind of with Catherine on that. I, I don't worry so much about these people. What I want now is our people to get out and vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of that bunch I work with don't vote. They don't bother to vote. And I'd say of the other half it did, uh, especially almost every white person I know uh, would have voted for Trump. Uh, He just appealed to them. He's their kind of guy, you know. He's going to put conservatives in the Supreme Court and take care of their guns and least he's better than Clinton. You know all the talking points that, that came out. And those people, I, I'm just not going to worry about them. But let me tell you this. You ask uh, what would cause another Watergate to come of this? Uh, let's have a blue wave on November the 6th, and then you watch a Watergate come. Let yeah. us take over the process in the Congress. And there will be no stopping this investigation then. This investigation deserves the chance, as all their investigations did, of running its course. They investigated Benghazi exhaustively, six different sets of congressional hearings, to come up with exactly nothing. They even had Hillary Clinton sitting there for 11 hours on national television, and at the end of that 11 hours, they had an argument between a couple of congressmen, and that's what they had to to show for the whole day. Uh, You know, if they can do all of that, if they can let Ken Starr investigate Bill Clinton for years, we can let, uh, you know... uh, an investigation for for an enemy of this country is trying to mess with our electoral process. I, I believe we can let this investigation include, and right now, after what just happened Friday, I don't see how this investigation can be stopped. Do you? Yes, now let's get into that. Uh, there's been speculation, and of course that's how you know Donald Trump handled the memo where he Release Devin Nunes' memo, but not the Democratic response memo. Um, and Poole said, well, maybe he'll fire Mueller. And now the speculation is, it was on Political Wire Friday, or actually over the weekend after Friday, that there's no way he can fire him now after it's been Russians, foreign you know, nationals that have been indicted for you know, trying to harm America, people even criticizing his response because this is an attack upon our nation's uh, founding pillar democracy, and he's just um, completely blowing it off because it's not good news for him. Um, Catherine, do you see any way he could fire Robert Mueller and have, like, let's say the Republicans back him up or really receive backup and not a complete blowback? I don't see how we can. I don't see how we can do it. I just, I, I mean, I think it would be um, horribly received by the public, and um, I, I can't imagine that Congress would let it get, let him get away with it either. Yeah, that's and to me that's the trick. Other Republicans, Tim, um, could he do it? Uh, what would happen if he tried it? 
Woo! Right now, uh, it would not go over well. At, I mean, at all. Regardless of who's in charge, this, that, and the other thing, it's too close to these indictments. Uh, plus, right now, Trump can still ride that no-collusion horse that he loves to ride while just ignoring what he said before about hoaxes and witch hunts, and I never heard the like of nonsense. Uh, but but he can still go with a no-collusion, case-closed type of thing and still and still wait because... Do you guys really think the Republicans want him to jump up and fire Mueller uh, before the midterms? No. I, I, I would think the regular House and Senate Republicans were. And there's probably some polling on it, and, and there's a chance that our next guest might know that polling. Um, and why don't I, I, before, I'm just going to ask the first question then to be the segue to Tom Jensen. Welcome, Tom. Hey, good to be with you all. Oh, good to have you on. Um, well, we're going to throw it to Catherine and Tim pretty quickly, but I'm just going to use that as a segue question. Um, Tom, have you or have you seen any polling that shows um, how Republican voters in particular or maybe independents would view Donald Trump firing Robert Mueller? Yeah, well, it's uh, definitely one of those things where Trump voters want Mueller to be fired and basically nobody else does, as as so many issues we see that – Trump voters want one thing to happen, and the rest of the population wants something totally different to happen. So we actually did poll on that this week, uh, and among Trump voters, 49 percent uh, want Robert Mueller to be fired. Only 25 percent are opposed to firing him. Uh, but then when we looked at that among the overall voter population nationwide, only 26 percent of voters think Mueller should be fired, and 55 percent think he should be allowed to uh, continue his investigation. So – that is sort of the, the tension we see on a lot of stuff is that the Trump base sort of wants one thing, and then the country as a whole wants something very different. Yes, and that was pre-11 Russians indicted, so you would think those numbers could have only shifted more. Uh, the 55 may have grown, the 29 may have uh, dr- dropped. So um, good information. Well, I'm going to quickly pass – go ahead. I was just going to say it's possible that it's changed the numbers, but one interesting thing that we found on this national poll about the Russia investigation is that basically nothing that's come out in terms of new revelations has done much to move the needle on public opinion. We sort of did a comparison between what we found this month and what we had found six months ago in August on some of the specific questions about Russia that we've just been asking over and over and over again. And in August, 43% of voters thought that Trump's campaign team colluded with Russia. 38% thought it didn't. Now it's 45% think there was collusion. 42% think there wasn't. So even though we've had this big string of revelations over the last six months with the Manafort and Gates arrests and Michael Flynn and that kind of thing, Donald Trump Jr.'s meetings with the Russians, it it hadn't changed the numbers that much, I think, because – for a lot of Trump voters, there's just a certain level of denial uh, when it comes to all this stuff to do with Russia, and they're just not going to change their mind, or at least nothing's happened yet that's going to change their mind about whether something really bad happened or not. 
Yes, and then of course, harkening back to our discussion, the the news cycle that they get is totally different than other folks. Well, I'm going to pass it on to Catherine. I'll pass it to Tim. We're going to talk all about the national poll you did this weekend first. Catherine? Hey, Tom. Welcome. Nice to hear from you. Hey, Catherine. Good to be with you. Likewise. So that was a a really nice Valentine on the national polls for us Democrats, (laughs) I thought. (laughs) Thank you very much. <clears throat> sure. What were the um what what did you find the most interesting parts of that national poll? Well, I think the most important thing is there's been all this talk the last few weeks about maybe there isn't going to be as big of a democratic wave or maybe there's not going to be a democratic wave at all uh because there've been, you know, a few polls that had the generic ballot more close nationally and stuff like that. Uh and we found Democrats with an 8-point generic congressional lead. Uh, which is pretty consistent with what we found all year and certainly would give Democrats a pretty decent chance of getting back control of the House, not 100% because of gerrymandering, but a good chance. And we also found, as we found you know, basically throughout this election cycle, that Clinton voters are more excited than Trump voters. 65% of Clinton voters say they're very excited to vote. Only 58% of Trump voters say they're very excited to vote. It's sort of a, an interesting dynamic this year. Usually what you think of is that uh, when polls are this far out from the election, looking at registered voters rather than likely voters, a lot of the time when the polls switch over to likely voters, that's good for the Republicans because they'll be doing better among the people who are most likely to vote. And I don't think that's true this election cycle. I think this is actually going to be an unusual election cycle where uh, it gets better for Democrats when you get to likely voters because I think Democratic voters are just so much more charged up about getting out to vote this year than Republicans are. And certainly that sort of difference comes out a lot better for Democrats than it does in your average midterm election where Republicans tend to have a big advantage. And then I think the other piece of it, which I'm sure you all have probably talked about plenty over the last few months, is we see in these special elections that we keep having across the country that there is a huge amount of momentum for Democrats. Two more uh, races this week that Democrats won in districts that had voted for Donald Trump. So uh, I think between the special elections and between what we see in our poll, my biggest takeaway from the poll was, yes, there is still a huge Democratic year headed our way, and um, I don't think that's really changed from December just because there's been one or two polls that have sort of shown it closer. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Even here in um, Metro Atlanta for our special elections, which are you know primarily um, in districts that are Democratic, we've seen an incredibly higher voter turnout, even in districts where the Democrat is most likely to win in fact, in places where there was only Democrat running, people were still – we've still seen an, a, a really good turnout. So I think that's all good news, and I'm so glad to hear it. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to pass it to, to Tim, then we'll come back around, I think. Yeah. Hey, Tom, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Tim, good to, good to hear from you. Yeah, and before you go off, we will discuss the Carolina Blues resurgence, okay? <laughs> just, just just warning you now. Um, Sounds good. In this national poll, um, DACA, the DREAM Act, has a lot of support. Even among Republicans, half of them polled support it. So with this level of support, if there is no agreement 
in Congress on a bill for DREAMers, does that translate into a huge issue at the polls in November? I think that's a really good question because we've definitely seen poll after poll after poll that shows how popular the DREAM Act is. I think the Mm -hmm. big question is whether that's actually going to get moved up uh, sort of towards the top echelon of issues because I think this has tended to be something that uh, even if there's strong public opinion for it across party lines, I think it's tended to be that when election time comes, uh, it doesn't end up being one of the issues that gets talked about the most. So the Republican candidates don't get hurt as much for their lack of action on it. But I think one thing that's going to be really interesting this year is you have so many of the key House elections across the country are going to be happening in sort of suburban districts where I think there's particularly high levels of awareness and attention of the importance of uh, treating immigrants to our country well and that sort of dynamic. So I think it may be that the battlefield for the election this year actually makes this a bigger issue than it has been, uh, because I think you you may have a situation where it's something that Democrats more want to make a central part of their uh, campaign than, than has been in the past. So I think it sort of still remains to be seen whether it'll end up being as big of an issue as like health care and tax reform and that kind of thing. Uh, but I definitely think the sort of dynamics surrounding the race this year make it such that it's it's more likely that that's going to be a big thing than it's been in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you mentioned House races. Charlie Cook uh, recently raised the number of competitive Republican seats in the country to 66, which is very large. Um, the Democrats need a gain of 24 seats, as most everyone knows, to retake the House. Does what you're seeing in your national polling uh, give you a fairly decent indication as to whether the necessary way for due such a gain is forming, or is it a little bit early for that? Well, we definitely know that based on the national generic ballot polling, Democrats have to win the sort of overall House popular vote by about six to eight points to get control of the Uh House. So I think they're Mm -hmm. narrowly on the right side of that line. Uh, We, since October, have been hired to poll in 36 different Republican-held congressional districts across the country. And for the most part, we're polling generic Democrats uh, in those districts at this point rather than specific Democrats. Uh, actually, because in a lot of these districts, there's like seven or eight Democrats running, which uh, I think in and wow. of itself is sort of a sign of enthusiasm. It used to be that uh, in a lot of these Republican-held districts, you know, Democrats would just be glad to get a candidate at all. Uh, and now uh, there's so many places. I think you know the first uh, primary in the country is coming up in Texas in a couple weeks, and there's a few of those districts, John Culberson's, uh, Pete Sessions's, where Democrats didn't even necessarily have a candidate at all in 2016, uh, and now you know there's like five or six people running that people have to choose from. But uh, anyway, in these 36 Republican-held districts that we've polled on, we found a generic Democrat ahead in 25 out of those 36 districts. Wow. And, This isn't even necessarily like the 36 most competitive districts. This just happens to be the 36 districts we've been hired to poll, and there are some other ones where I think Democrats would have a good chance that uh, we just haven't had occasion to do anything yet. And we really do in a lot of places where Democrats haven't won a whole lot lately are are finding them ahead. And what's 
interesting about it is that these places where we're finding Democrats with an advantage are a mix of sort of Democrats doing well in places where they did well in the Obama years but didn't do so well with Trump on the ballot, but now they're doing well again. Uh, one district we've pulled on a lot over the last six months is Iowa's first uh, congressional district, which uh, had been represented by Bruce Braley, and then he ran for the Senate, and uh, the Republican Rod Blum uh, took it over. It looks like he's going to have a real hard time holding on. So that's like a good example of uh, sort of old Obama territory coming back. Uh, and then we also have districts like those two I mentioned in Texas, sort of in the Dallas suburbs, uh, where Democrats have uh, not been competitive forever, but they're uh, suburban districts where uh, voters are highly educated and the districts are becoming more and more racially diverse. Uh, and that means that places that maybe voted for a Mitt Romney or George W. Bush style Republican by 15 or 20 points are really turning on Trump and making it possible that Democrats uh, can actually win seats. So there's this debate you hear about a lot, like should Democrats uh, you know, try to get control of the House by picking up these new uh, emerging Sunbelt sort of suburban districts or by getting back stuff they used to have in the Midwest where they did real bad last year. And the, the answer to that question is you just got to do both. Uh-huh. Now, one more quick uh, national question, and I'm going to throw it back to David, who will get us into some U.S. Senate races and such. But what you see occurring, the dy dynamic you just mentioned, this enthusiasm gap or, or just outright anger among Democratic voters, is it driven by Trump or is it tribalism? Or can you tell that? I think it's driven by Trump more than anything else. I think that uh, it's just sort of created a um, – just as a, a, a desire so strongly to go out and be able to do something to push back against Trump. And for now, that might mean going to vote in your uh, city council election. I mean, one thing that was a, a very interesting dynamic in North Carolina elections in the fall uh, was that uh, in places where maybe 10 or 15,000 people came out to vote for mayor in 2015, like 40,000 people came out to vote for mayor wow. in 2017. And it's not like Trump was on the ballot or they could you know, do anything to Trump in the mayoral election or anything like that. But I think it just created an awareness among base Democratic voters that we have to stay engaged all the time. We can't take years off because that's given the Republicans the sort of power where they can do this bad stuff. So even if we can't take a direct crack at Trump until 2020, we're going to go out and vote in every election that we can and try to – you know, sort of start rebuilding power at the local level after everything that was lost in the last few years. Amen to that. Uh, with that, I'm going to throw it back over to David. Yes. Well, I do want to start us into some of these state-by-state um, -state polls. And you had mentioned that you did some polling on behalf of the Ohio Democratic Party. Uh, the Cleveland uh, Plain Dealer picked up on it and uh, found the article – and it showed a really interesting race for governor, and you can also tell us if any more uh, information off of it has become public. But it showed that uh, a Democrat, Rob Cordray, is one point behind um, Attorney General Mike DeWine for the gubernatorial matchup, for the most likely gubernatorial matchup, I guess, although there may be other candidates um, that are strong as well. But it shows Democrats could take back 
Ohio at the state level, which means that, you know, down the road that that would affect um, redistricting and other things would impact national politics. Tell us what you can about that poll and if, if there's more that the Plain Dealer article didn't have. Well, one thing that's really funny, uh, after we did our poll, I Googled to see whatever what other Cordray DeWine polls were out there just because I was sort of curious to see how our numbers stacked up to other things. Uh, and the first thing I found was a, a poll from 1999 that was going to – that was testing Richard Cordray as a, a prospective Senate candidate against Mike DeWine for the Senate in the year 2000. <laughs> Uh, and then they did run against each other for attorney general in 2010, and now they're running for each other against governor in 2018. So you think about a, a state like Georgia where uh, you know somebody like Stacey Abrams is sort of a newer face on the scene, and there's new people getting involved. Ohio's been rehashing the same matchups for two decades now. It's uh, sort of a, a funny backstory there, but – uh, we definitely did find that uh, that's setting up to be a close race, and there was also a Senate component of that poll uh, where we found Sherrod Brown up by nine points on his uh, mm. most likely Republican opponent, Jim Renacci. Uh And I, I think that's a pretty good sign for Democrats that even though they did very poorly in Ohio in both 2014 and 2016, it doesn't mean that Ohio's gone forever. Uh, and definitely, I think uh, Trump has not ended up proven to be very popular there. So I think there uh, is uh, a, a lot of willingness to keep Sherrod Brown in the Senate as sort of a check on Trump. Uh, and then uh, certainly some possibility of switching over the governor's office as well. And it's sort of an interesting example of uh, of of sort of the twisted dynamic where Hillary Clinton losing was the best thing that ever could have happened for some of these Democratic senators. Uh, it seems pretty inevitable that if Hillary Clinton had gotten elected president, uh, it would just be constant drama in D.C., maybe even on a higher level than we already have, uh, and she'd probably have pretty low approval numbers. And uh, the prospects for Democratic senators like Sherrod Brown running for reelection in states that Trump won, I think, would look pretty poor. But now, of course, uh, it's a Republican president who voters are sick of and voters are sort of more rebelling against the Republicans. And I think that means for the Sherrod Browns and Tammy Baldwins and Bob Casey's of the world in the Midwest, uh, their prospects are a whole lot better uh, this year than they would have been uh, if Hillary Clinton had actually been elected president. Well, uh, staying in Ohio with some more things, uh, Jay Vance, uh, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, they've said that he – or Elegy – they've said that he's uh, been recorded as a candidate. Did you do any polling on him, and is he actually that well-known among voters? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean I think he uh, thought about running and then decided a few weeks ago – uh, not to, but he definitely wouldn't have had very much initial name recognition. And I think there's almost no way he could have gotten out of a Republican Party primary because he had two things uh, really going against him if he's trying to win a primary election. For one thing, he was Mitch McConnell's candidate. And Mitch McConnell is hated by the overall population for sure, but he is even hated by Republicans. Like in a Republican primary, you don't want to be the Mitch McConnell candidate. Uh, as I think Luther Strange sort of learned the hard way in uh, Alabama last fall. I think that being associated with Mitch McConnell was not helpful to him at all. 
uh, in his effort to try to get to be the Republican candidate. So I think that would have hurt J.D. Vance if he had decided to run. And then I think the other thing that would have hurt him is he's admitted that he didn't vote for Trump. It's sort of an interesting dynamic where his book is sort of seen as uh, having been the explainer for uh, for why Trump won that nobody saw coming. But then at the same time, he himself didn't vote for Trump. Uh, and Trump may have bad overall approval ratings, but his approval rating is still 80 to 85 percent with Republicans. So I don't think anybody's going to survive in a Republican primary this cycle who uh, did not vote for Donald Trump two years ago. So I think those two things would have made life pretty hard for him to try to win the nomination, and he must have seen that. Yes, good analysis. One more Ohio guy, and I'm going to pass it along to Catherine and Tim for some state questions. Um, John Kasich, he's not on the ballot, but you'd think he'd have some influence. Um did your polls show any kind of John Kasich effect? Well, what's really interesting about John Kasich's numbers is that uh, for a Republican governor, he has very bad numbers with Republicans, but also for a Republican governor, he has very good numbers with Democrats. Uh, so it, it's sort of a similar dynamic to what we've always seen with John McCain's approval ratings, where uh, he comes out pretty close to break even, maybe a little bit better than break even, but uh, it's actually an unusual level of support from Democrats that sort of helps cancel out uh, his his lesser numbers with Republicans. So uh, there's actually another guy running for governor of Ohio. I think his name is, uh, or excuse me, running for the Senate in Ohio, uh, named Mike Gibbons, who has a bunch of sort of Kasich alums as his uh, campaign people. And so far, he's not getting that much traction because even though Kasich is pretty popular overall, uh, there's a lot of suspicion of him among the Republican base because there have been so many issues where he's sort of gone outside the the party lines on that. So it will be interesting to see what kind of impact he ends up uh, personally having on all that because his his popularity is, is sort of complicated. Yes. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Catherine and then to Tim. And, Tim, when it gets to you, just feel free to cover a lot of states we haven't gotten to. Catherine? I'm going to let Tim go because I haven't studied up on the state polls yet. So go ahead, Tim. Go for it. Okay, Tom, let's just land uh, right in your state. Uh, Tom, as as you're aware of how things stand, like in Georgia, for instance, politically, uh, you're you're right here on our doorstep. Uh, you're also aware of how things look now in a state like Virginia, right to your north, and and what happened in the election up there last year. After November six, will the political dynamics in North Carolina resemble more Virginia, or will they look more like Georgia? Uh, I I sort of split the baby and say somewhere in between. I don't think that uh, Democrats are going to end up with as good of a picture in North Carolina as in Virginia, uh, simply because such a big piece of how Democrats were able to pick up so many legislative seats in Virginia was that there were a ton of Republican legislators who were representing districts that Hillary Clinton had won, uh, and Democrats in Virginia did a very good job of getting those Republican districts turned Democratic. But there aren't that many 
uh, Republican-held ha- uh, legislative seats in North Carolina that Hillary Clinton won. So I definitely do think that Democrats in North Carolina are going to make a lot of gains this year. But I think the terrain mm-hmm. is a little bit more difficult in North Carolina than it was in Virginia. And the other thing that makes life harder in North Carolina is the legislative lines got thrown out as a racial gerrymander uh, – so the Republicans had to, in the General Assembly, had to draw a new legislative district map, and they said, oh, well, as long as we have to draw a new legislative district map, uh, we're going to go in everywhere that has sort of turned against us since we drew this uh, initial map in 2011, and we're going to redraw the lines to uh, sort of make it easier for some of our incumbents <laughs> to hang on in areas where they would otherwise lose. Uh, so there's a guy in uh, Wake County, Nelson Dollar whose district uh, under the 2011 lines voted for Clinton by six points, and the only reason he was able to survive in 2016 was because he had sort of a weak opponent. But this time around, there was going to be a young, uh, successful, intelligent Wake County commissioner running against him who was almost definitely going to beat him. So they said, well, since we have to redraw the lines, we're just going to turn Nelson's district from a Clinton plus six district to a Trump plus five district. Uh, so that sort of you know, took a Republican incumbent who was almost definitely going to lose, and then they used the opportunity they got because they illegally drew the lines in the first place to draw up these new lines to, in the middle of the decade sort of protect this incumbent. He might still lose, though. We actually just did a ton of North Carolina legislative polling, and what was really interesting was there were a lot of districts where sort of the dy- the dynamic we found was that – Let's say that Trump won a district by 15. We would find the Democrat for the legislature down by five in a Trump plus 15 district, so about a 10-point mm-hmm. shift there. And then when we broke it down by are you very excited, somewhat excited, or not that excited to vote this year, the Democrat would actually be up by five among the people who were excited to vote because Democrats have that huge enthusiasm advantage right now. And what's interesting in North Carolina this year is there is nothing – that's a big deal at the top of the ticket. We have no presidential race, no gubernatorial race, no Senate race. Uh, so what that means is you're going to have a much lower turnout election than usual. It really may come down a lot more than would generally be the case to sort of just which side is more engaged. Uh, and certainly we, we know that Democrats are a lot more engaged, so they might just be able to flip a few of those Trump plus 15 seats. Mm. So I think Democrats will Mm. pick up enough seats that in the legislature next year, if Governor Cooper vetoes something, the legislature won't be able to override his veto. And uh, after the last six or seven years in North Carolina, I think a lot of people will be perfectly thrilled to have a state government that just can't do anything because uh, they've done a lot the last six or seven years, and most of it's been pretty bad. Yeah, now – now. When you're talking about pickups, you're talking about to stop these supermajorities like, what, four seats in the House and maybe a half dozen seats in the state Senate. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Something like that. Um, but, but I think Democrats will be able to, especially in the House in North Carolina, I think they'll be able to break the supermajority with a few seats to spare. I don't think it's oh. going to be – 71 to 49. I think it's going to be more uh-huh. like 67 to 53, 66, 54 kind of thing. Now, now, now gerrymandering as an issue has become quite an issue in, in a lot of states uh, lately. It's very much in the news. 
Is it a practice that may be on its way out the door in states like North Carolina? Would the public just get to the point where they would demand such a thing at the polls? Uh, I think it is a situation where people think gerrymandering is bad, but it's just not high enough up the issue list for it Mm -hmm. to be something that people are actually going to go out and vote on. Uh, So I I do think that it's something where uh, Democrats in places like North Carolina are sort of at the mercy of the courts uh, to decide that gerrymandering is illegal as opposed to voters actually sort of rising up against gerrymandering. Anything usually that's sort of a process issue with government, like gerrymandering, it's sort of something where people say it's bad and they do think it's bad, but they're not going to, for the most part, you know, get mad and go vote on it the way that I think a lot of people are going to get mad and go vote this year because they think Republicans want to take away their health care. That Mm -hmm. obviously just, just kind of is on a different level in terms of something that gets voters really motivated to go out and do something. Okay, well, let's jump right quick up to Missouri. Your polls of the Missouri Senate are are showing essentially a a, a toss-up race. Is Senator McCaskill uh, still the most vulnerable Democratic incumbent, and does Donald Trump help or hurt the Republican candidates there? Yeah, I think that she is the most vulnerable Democratic incumbent. Uh, There's obviously a a fair number of states up this year that voted for Trump by a lot. Uh, So in addition to McCaskill, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, John Tester in Montana, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, you have a lot of these Democratic senators up in heavily Trump states. But the Heitkamps and Mansions and uh, testers of the world sort of have a level of personal popularity that I think is going to help them overcome uh, how sort of generally Republican their states are, whereas Senator McCaskill, frankly, just doesn't have that dynamic going on. She's not that personally popular. But uh, that's a great question you asked about whether Trump's going to you know, sort of help or hurt her. Uh, certainly if we'd been talking a year ago right now, I would have said, oh, you know, Trump's going to be so helpful to the Republicans in Missouri. He won the state by 20 points. So uh, being associated with Trump's going to be really helpful. But what we found on that Missouri poll that we did last month is that uh, Trump has really seen his popularity decline there to the point where he's almost break even now on his Uh, popularity. There's almost as many people who disapprove of him as approve of the job he's doing. So he might be a wash, and certainly that will make uh, Senator McCaskill's life a little bit easier than if he was still as popular as he was in 2016. If she'd been on the ballot in 2016, she would have been uh, a goner, I'm I'm quite sure. But I think that uh, with voters having more skepticism about Trump and this Democratic energy, she may just hold on. And if Claire McCaskill becomes a three-term senator, that's going to be quite remarkable because uh, really (laughs) each of the last two elections, she was sort of, you know, viewed as dead in the water, but uh, she's, she's kind of shown herself to be a survivor so far. So we'll see if she can pull it off again this time. Okay. And a a real quickie here, and then I'm throwing it back to David to close out the segment. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, that both teams at each end of, of, of Highway 15 are peaking at just the right time 
and one or both of the teams is going to make the final four. What's your prediction? Uh, well, if I'm real honest about it, I think it's a lot more likely that Duke's going to be in the Final Four than UNC. But I have a flight to San Antonio and a hotel in San Antonio lined up at the Tar Heels do make it. But my flight's on Southwest and my hotel's uh, uh, cancelable. So I'm, I'm confident enough to have made the reservation, but not confident enough to have, uh, to have sacrificed the money if it doesn't work out. All right, and with that, I throw it back to David. David, Tom, we could continue to ask you questions, but I think you've uh, done more than your fair share, and we want to get you back in the future when you have more great polls for us. Well, I'm always happy to come on. I'm always glad to have you. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Take care. You too. That was Tom Jensen of Public Policy Poland. I mean, his polls are known just across the nation of anybody that follows politics, even just a little bit closely. They know of his work, and you see him in such an influencer by giving all this great research. We're just lucky to have him on the Kudzu Vine. Um, well, something, I, Tim and Catherine, I forgot that I'd sent you this one story. And it's really not about the tragedy that happened in Florida exactly, um, because unfortunately these things happen so far often that it would just be the same things. One side says, oh, well, let's have more bullet guns. Another side says, let's have less guns. But when someone kind of breaks through the filter and does something different, that becomes a discussion point. And Al Hoffman, who apparently donates, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to Republicans is saying that if something's not done with access to guns uh, in some way that he may or, um, you know, the type of military assault rifles, if something's not done, he's not going to give any more money. Um, Catherine, do you think this one donor refusing to make, uh, give money is going to make a difference or is it going to take more donors filling the way Al Hoffman does? Well, you know, it's it's always good for someone to step out first, but I think that to really have an impact it's going to require more donors. But, you know, bravo to him for, you know, stepping up and making some demands on uh on these uh I mean, I think he's, you know, mostly Republican. He's a he's a Republican donor. So, uh let's hope it's a, the beginning of some kind of um you know, wider action. Yeah, uh, certainly so. Um, Tim, your thoughts on what Al Hoffman, you know, is looking at doing? Um, for those that don't know, he's um, he's a real estate developer. He's a big friend of the Bushes. Uh, he was an ambassador to Portugal, as a matter of fact, in one of the Bush administrations, and. Uh, uh, he wants to see some legislation on gun control, on banning assault weapons outright. He sent a lot of emails to Jeb Bush, to Governor Scott, among others. Um, I, I'm still very skeptical that anything is going to happen. I'm almost positive nothing's going to happen in Congress between now and the election. The polling guys clearly shows that Republicans are really in no trouble in their home districts. 
if they support the NRA, that's exactly what most of their voters want them to do. Um, I, I was going to ask you a question, Catherine. If the federal government won't take the lead in this, you've done a lot of political stuff in, in the city of Atlanta. Would the would the leadership of the big cities step into that void and try to do something nationwide? I think that's a really good um, a really good question. Um, I mean, I think that when Michael Bloomberg was um, mayor of um, New York, he tried really hard, and I think he had some success in doing some gun control in New York. Of course, of course, New York it's really hard to get a gun. Um, so yeah, I think that that's uh, when there's a void. Um, the you know big metropolitan cities that you know have a lot of economic impact and um, you know they wield a lot of power in in uh, regional ways. I think that's a really good point. I'm not sure that in the South that's going to be real effective, but if some you know big city, you know northern, eastern, western big cities can start the ball rolling, maybe we can have some success in places like Atlanta, Miami, uh, you know, Nashville. Um, but I do think that somebody's, I mean, somebody's got to do something. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. Shocking. Man. it's shocking. And I, I have yeah. to say that, I mean, I know we're not talking about this tonight, but I do have to say that, I thought that the vigil the other night and the hearing from these uh, very eloquent teenagers was pretty effective. Like, I don't know if it affected everyone the way it affected me, but it was quite moving hearing those um, young people talk. David, is this going to be yeah, another and I do one think of those deals? Some... David, is this going to be another one of those deals where, though, we talk about it for a couple of weeks and then it it, it you know, goes away like these other shootings have. And, and that seems to be what always happens. Uh, Catherine made a point about the teenagers. There may end up being some type of uh, march, some type of walkout of classrooms. That may make this a little different. But it, it, so many times, I mean, how, after Las Vegas, you just thought, well, maybe something gets done. But nothing seems to get done because in Republican primaries – you know, Tom Jensen was talking about how this matters and that matters. If someone were to say, oh, it, it's time to get tough on guns, is anybody going to listen? Uh, I mean, it's just hard to know. True. Um, so I That's guess true. only time will tell. Well, once again, we want to thank Tom Jensen for coming on the show and um, and then everything else. And I'm sure a lot of the topics we talked about will continue to turn till next week. Until then, in the Cudsey Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Night, everybody.